Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Anybody here, like, walking through graveyards, cemeteries, and looking at, eh, you weird people. Um, no, I, 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 sometimes I like doing that, just reading headstones and, and seeing, um, because a lot you can tell about a person just from what's written on the headstone. Um, this week I, I came across some, um, some celebrities who have passed away uh, and some of the headstones that they, things that they had put on their headstone. Um, Merv Griffin, for those of you who don't know Merv Griffin, he was kind of like a talk show host, kind of like um, before Oprah was around, okay? Um, and, and so when he died, um, he had actually put on his uh, tombstone there, I won't be back after these messages. <laughs> Pretty creative. Um, Rodney Dangerfield, the comedian, you know, I get no respect, that guy, um, he put on his, hem- on his tombstone, there goes the neighborhood. Um, and Mel Blanc, who was the voice of like Porky Pig and um, all of the Warner Brothers um, cartoons, his, his uh, tombstone actually says, that's all, folks. So, kind of interesting. Um, my question for you this morning is this. Is that true? Is this it? Is this all there is? That's all, folks? Or is there some meaning, there's some purpose uh, to our lives, and particularly life experiences? Because I believe they, they, that there is. I believe that God uses life experiences to do very, very deep things in our life. Um, he takes Scripture, and that's how we learn, and we teach, and we learn and understand from His Word, but, but we apply it in our life circumstances, and that's where the growth really takes place. Um, this morning we're finishing a series we called Miracles of Jesus, and we've been looking at all the different miracles, not all of them, but many of them, and today we're finishing up with actually Jesus' final miracle, the very last one he performed uh, before he went to the cross, and it's found in John chapter 11 if you want to turn there. Now I know you all probably are very familiar with this story, you all know how it ends, but I want you to listen again to it as we go through it, because I don't want you to listen to what Jesus did, but, but how and why he did these things. Um, and it, the story is actually the longest narrative that we have of any of Jesus' healings. And it begins in John chapter 11, verse 1. And there's actually three scenes to it. So we're going to start scene 1, where Jesus is on the other side of the Jordan River. He's, he's away from the crowds. He's away from Jerusalem. He's away from all of that other stuff. He's kind of off um, with his disciples in more of a secluded place. And while he is there, a man named Lazarus was sick. Now, he was from Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the disciples sent word to to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by the day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for there is no light. And after he said this, He went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. 
And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas called Didymus. Thomas, by the way, Doubting Thomas, that's the guy here, okay? Thomas was kind of the... He was kind of the Eeyore of the group, okay? And, and you really kind of pick it up here because this is his words. Then Thomas called Didymus said to the rest of the disciples, Let us go that we may die with him. You know? <laughs> it's kind of the negative guy in the whole deal. It's a very interesting story. Um, and I want you to kind of work through this with me because there's some really important lessons, I think, for our lives because we all go through these kinds of stages. The first one, it starts with this delay that... Jesus gets word, but he doesn't, he doesn't rush over there. In fact, it says he waits two more days. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. You're at a place where you're waiting for something. You've been praying for something. You've been looking for something. Um, you're, you're in deep need, and you're waiting for an answer to that prayer, and it's not coming. And you keep thinking, it's got to come, Lord. It's got to come. And you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and God seems silent. Just silent. You hear nothing. And in those moments, you begin to wonder, does God really care? Does he, does he really love me? And I think one of the lessons here I want you to get out of this is delays in your life don't mean that God doesn't love you. Now, I'm one who hates to wait. I, I hate waiting as much as anybody, maybe more so. Like, if I'm going to Home Depot, I just really have to psych myself up for it. And I say, okay, you're going to have to wait, be patient, take a deep breath. You know, i got to work my way through that kind of stuff. Because I, I tend to not like waiting. I don't like waiting in lines. If I come, you know, uh, come to the um, uh, gas station and there's lines around, I find the shortest line. You know? And then I get up there and this pump is closed. That's why the line was so short. Okay? Um, I hate that kind of stuff. I used to, um, and, I've, and I've confessed this before, so it's nothing new. Uh, I used to, like, if I would get to the coffee shop the same time as somebody else, and we got there like right at the same time and got out of the cars at the same time. There was kind of this foot race to the, get to the door first. Not, 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 not right out running, you know, just kind of just pick up the pace a little bit so nobody would notice, but I would try to get there first. So I got to tell you, I am, I'm getting better. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, same thing happened. Got there, uh, same time as somebody else. Got out, I saw him, he closed his door, same time as me. We were equal distance from the door. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I just took my time. And you will be so proud of me because I got there first. But I held the door open and I said, after you. Isn't that it? God is doing a deep work in my life, you know? Yeah. Because I hate waiting. I hate delays. I hate being put on hold. And, and you probably do too. And there's a different type of waiting. There's a deeper type of waiting when, when life is going through difficulty. In fact, in fact, everyone here, I think, has experienced delay in your life at one time or another. And typically it happens in the most negative of circumstances, which makes the waiting all the harder. Lazarus is sick. One day he comes home and he's not feeling well. And maybe he coughs up some blood or he he feels a lump or or things are not right. And he goes to whatever medical attention there is there in those days and, and he comes back and the doctors have said, there's nothing we can do. Nothing we can do. And he shares that with his sisters who love him and care about him. And they find out that that this is like a terminal illness. And so the thing that they do is they send for Jesus. That's what verse 3. The sisters sent word to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. Now you've got to understand, Lazarus and Mary and Martha were very close friends to Jesus and the disciples. 
These weren't casual acquaintances. These were very close friends. They supported his ministry. He had dinner in their home. He would often come to their home when he needed to get away from crowds because it, was, it provided kind of a rest and retreat center for him. So this is a very, very good friend of his. And you would think with a good friend, you drop everything. I mean, that's what we would expect. That's what you would do. You hear a good friend of yours is, is ill or you know, really desperate and you drop everything. I'll be right there. But Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, it says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, I don't know if that strikes you as strange, but it strikes me as very strange. What is going on here? What is going on here? If you love him, if he's a very close friend, and you hear that this is a terminal illness, like you drop everything, you go. Why is he staying two more days? And like I said, maybe you've been there. Maybe it's been longer than two days. You've been praying and praying and praying, and now you're beginning to doubt, does God really even care? Does he really love? Now I want you to know something. God's delay can very much be an act of love for you. I don't know if you picked it up. It's in the t- today's New International Version translation. Um, some others try to kind of soft pedal it um, and say, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, yet he heard Lazarus was sick and he waited two more days. Like he had something else to do. But that's not really what that word is. It, it, it's a very direct word. It means, therefore, in accordance with, because of. It says he hurt, he loved them, so he stayed two more days. How does that express love? What is going on here? I think delays are actually an act of God's love on our behalf. It doesn't feel like it. We don't understand it. It's very, very difficult, especially when it, it keeps dragging on and on and on. But I want you to know God's timing is impeccable. We have seen this through all of these miracles that we have been looking at. When Jesus is told by his mother that they've run out of wine, the very first miracle he, he performs, and he says, my hour has not yet come. There's a timing thing that's going on here. He heals a man that's been laying by a pool 38 years. 38 years. He heals a blind man who has been blind from birth. Jesus himself was crucified on the cross and spent three days in the grave. There is a timing thing with God. We don't always understand it. His timetable is not our timetable, but God works in his way and in his time, and his timing is perfect. Because here it comes again. And his disciples question, okay, and Jesus said, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk in the daytime will not stumble. It is when people walk at night that they stumble, for they have no light. God has just enough time to do the work in your life that he needs to do. Perfect timing. He always has perfect timing. And sometimes, often in fact, it doesn't seem like it. But if you look just in normal everyday life, how timing is so important. A child really doesn't begin to start to walk until they're at least a year old, maybe older. And they start taking those first steps because they're not at that point yet. We wait till kids are five years old before we, before we put them into the school district and into the school system because they're not at a cognitive level yet to be able to understand the things. They've got to go wait till they're a certain age. We don't let teens drive until they turn 16 years old. That is a good thing. <laughs> 
They're not ready. In fact, 18 would probably be better. Because they're not ready to handle it. There are certain things that we are not ready for. And sometimes God's timing is simply we are not ready for what he has for us. And there's this maturing process and work of his love in our life that still needs to take place. See, God has a greater purpose in mind. God sees the end from the beginning. And he knows what needs to be done in your life. Well, you say, well, what could be greater than healing? I mean, what could be greater? This is, this is a friend. This is important. Why would you... Th- what, what could be greater than healing your friend? There's two things. One is that we would come to know him more fully. That we would really get to know who God is. He says, it is for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through this. Now, he's not talking about that God needs our applause. The idea of God's glory is his revealing of himself fully, in his fullness. When, when, he, when he showed his glory all throughout Scripture, it was, it was a glimpse of the fullness of God. And so what he's saying is he, he's doing this. This timing thing is all about you coming to know him and see him differently. That you're coming to see him and know him on a deeper level. And even more than that, trust in him. He says, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe that you may trust him more deeply. How does delay help me trust more deeply? Because I learned that there's only one thing I can hang on to. Ben Patterson put it this way. He says, God knows exactly what he's doing. If he moves quickly, it is for our good. If he moves slowly, it is for our good. No matter how things look to us, God is the complete master of every situation. He provides for our needs and fulfills our desires in the fullness of time. Not a moment too late, nor a second too soon. His timing is perfect. And sometimes the delay is because of things that he still wants to do in our life. In God's economy, knowing him and trusting him is more important than being healed by him. There's something more important. So we go through delays. Now the scene changes. Um, Jesus finally does go. And we pick up the story in verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus was already dead. In the tomb, four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many of the Jews who had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who was to come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but he was still at the place where Martha had met him. So when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, 
And the Jews who had come along with her, also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he said. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? Some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man have kept this man from dying? Disappointment. Jesus finally shows up, but when he shows up, it's too late. It's too late. And you can hear the disappointment in their words, in their, in, in their, in their expressions. And, and maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you are disappointed with God. Something has not worked out the way you expected. And you thought one thing and something else happened. And you're disappointed. You're disappointed with God. And the doubts of His wisdom and His care flood over you. And I want you to hear this morning, disappointment doesn't mean that God doesn't care. It doesn't. Jesus shows up and it's too late. And Martha says what every one of us has said at least one time in our life. Even if you're not a believer, you have said something along these lines. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's all your fault. There's disappointment, but there's also accusation. You can almost hear it in her voice. If you had been here, this is all your fault. God, how can you do this? What were you thinking? Why does stuff like this happen? And every one of us has said some version of that sentence. If you'd been here, disappointed, it's all your fault. Jesus, you, we saw you heal other people. Why didn't you heal him? We saw, you, we saw you speak to a centurion, a Roman centurion, hated by us, hated by us. And you spoke to one of them, and he asked that you would heal his servant. And you healed his servant, the servant of a Roman soldier. You healed him, and this is your friend. And you don't show up. You don't come in time. How do you treat your friends like this? And you doubt God's care and you doubt his wisdom. And when you are in that place, sanitized prayers don't work. They don't cut it. We all know the sanitized prayers. It's the prayers that we run through that filter. And they go something, Oh Lord, we thank thee for thy many blessings. And we know that you doeth all things welleth. (laughs) And we will put our trusteth in you with. (laughs) You know, and it all sounds nice and sweet and we have full of faith. But that's not what's going on here. This is a raw, unvarnished, unfiltered, gut-level, honest prayer. That's what she's doing. And if you think that's out of line, let me read to you some other of those kind of prayers throughout Scripture. Job. Job said these words in the middle of his suffering. I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Will you never look away from me or let me alone for an instant? Jeremiah the prophet. Oh Lord, you deceived me and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. It's a man of God. Prophet of God. David himself, King David. Many of his psalms sound like this. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord... Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord. 
My God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. So men of God, people of God, that anguish of soul, that deep disappointment, God can handle that. God can handle that. In fact, I think more than anything else, that's what he wants from us. He wants honesty. He can handle our honesty. He wants it because when, as long as you just keep praying sanitized prayers, you never really reveal your heart. You never really open and honest with God. And if you never reveal your heart, you can't have a relationship because every relationship requires that kind of openness. And he listens to Mary's cry, Martha's cry, both of them. Lord, if you had been here. And yet Martha has this, this is glimmer of hope, like I, I don't even know if I dare trust this, but she says, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Your brother will rise again, Jesus tells her. Why, I know that. And she puts on her best theology. Yeah, I know. In the last day, at the resurrection, I know he'll rise again. That doesn't help me now. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Notice he doesn't say, I will resurrect him. I will give him life. He says, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. This is what this whole story is pointing to. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even though he die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe me? Not just, do you trust that I will do good things in your life? Do you trust that I'll take care of you and have my hand on you? Do you trust me? And there's a transfer that he's asking for here. Not just do you trust in the things that I can do, but do you trust in me? Because that's what faith is all about. It is putting our full weight and confidence in Him. It is as if you stood on the edge of a cliff and lost your footing. And as you started to fall, there was a branch sticking out on the side of the cliff just at the top as you fell down. And you could go as you passed by thinking to yourself, that branch looks strong enough to hold me up and pass right by it and you would be doomed. But if you, without even thinking about it, even doubting whether that branch is strong enough to hold you, reached out and grabbed it, you would be saved. Because it is the putting of your weight on it, the transfer of your trust, the grabbing on, the holding on to the one thing I cannot let go of. That's faith. It's not simply to give an intellectual agreement to. Oh yeah, I believe that's true. See, that's what he's doing with Martha here. Not just, do you believe the theology? Not just, do you think I can do good things? Do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. You see, when we are trapped into a real encounter with God, we see Him as He really is. We see Him as He really is. And we discover He really does care. He really does. Because they make their way to the tomb. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And it says He wept. He wept. Now that wasn't just he shed a tear. <laughs> Literally, it means he sobbed. Just from inside, just coming out. See, he doesn't just go and perform a miracle. He stands there with them in their pain. And he takes on 
all that they are feeling in that moment because he wants you to know he does care. He does good things, but more important, he wants you to know he's with you even in your disappointment in him. Philip Yancey said, the only thing worse than disappointment with God is disappointment without God. And so they're in front of the tomb and the scene shifts one more time. We pick up the story in verse 38. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha, the sister of the, de- said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been in there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I've said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take the grave clothes off him and let him go. Jesus performs this, but not before they've reached a dead end. Literally, a dead end. Lazarus is dead. Not sort of dead, not mostly dead, not kind of dead. He's dead, dead. Dead, dead. And we know that because he's been in the tomb four days. Okay? This is, we know he is really, really dead. This is a dead end. And Jesus stands there in front of the tomb, and it's almost like he is on the threshold between two realities death and life, pain and hope. And he stands right there, and that's where he stands with each and every one of us. And what he does is he calls on Martha to act on her faith. He has asked her, do you believe this? Do you believe I am the resurrection of life? Do you believe this? And she says, yes, I do. So he says to her, take away the stone. Take away the stone. And Martha says, but Lord... He's been in the tomb four days. And I love the King James Version. It's just, it's my favorite version on this verse. He stinketh. <laughs> Read it for yourself. That's, I love modern translations, but that verse just, you know, that's got to be King James. He stinketh. Lord, he's been in the tomb four days. There's a bad odor. Things smell really bad when they've been dead four days. How much faith do you need? How much faith do you need? Only enough to obey. She's got her doubts. She's got her questions. She even puts up protests and says, Lord, you don't know what you're doing here? But she nods to the people and they roll away a stone. That might be all the faith that she has, but it's enough. And that is the thing. When it comes to times when it doesn't make sense and, and it seems like it's too late and it's a lost cause and you've lost all hope and, and it's just a dead issue... God works his best work in graveyards. God does his best work with lost causes. And all you need is enough faith and trust to obey. When you say, but if I do that, if I do what he's calling me to do, then then I don't see how that can possibly work out. You don't know my situation. You don't know how difficult it is. You don't know the things I got to work. Listen, I know God. And Jesus says, if you will trust me, even when it doesn't make sense, 
you will see a miracle. And then he offers this prayer. And it's a very strange prayer. And it's the only time in Scripture that we have a prayer of Jesus that goes like this. Because he doesn't just pray to the Father. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. That they may believe that you sent me. It's the only time in Scripture that I, I can find that he does this. That he prays, but he prays so everybody can overhear him. <laughs> Why? For their benefit. And I think this is the thing. This is where it comes down to for each and every one of us. By raising Lazarus, Jesus was saying, resurrection power is for you. It's for you. Yeah, we celebrate, last, last Sunday we celebrated Easter, we celebrate Jesus rose from the dead, but it's not just Jesus. And it's not just when I die, my future hope. Resurrection power is a living reality. Here and now, for you. It's all about belief and trust. It's been that way all through the whole story. In verse 15, he says, this is so that you would believe. He gets to Martha, verse 26. Do you believe this? And now he says, and he prays, that they may believe me. It's about trust and confidence and putting your full weight down. Even if you don't understand the circumstances, to put your weight down on him. And that's where resurrection power rests, within him. And it's learning to trust not for something, but trust in someone. It's not believing necessarily what God will do. It's believing that I can trust him no matter what he does. And that's what it really comes down to. A belief in someone who wants the best for us. He loves us. And he knows what's best for us. He has wisdom about all this. And he can do what is best for us. He has the power to do it. And when we do that, and we put our faith and our trust in him, we discover he is far better than we had thought. Far better than we had hoped. And something that needed to die, maybe my false hopes, maybe my false Trust, things that I put my trust in, my own confidence, my own abilities. Maybe those are the things that need to die before I see him and his power at work in my life. Maybe it's a false impression or false image or perception that I have of God that needs to die so I can see him as he really is because that's what he wants. He wants us to bring the real me to an encounter with the real him and discover life. Because there's a lot of false selves that we have. We're going to be talking about that for the next couple of weeks. There is a me that I pretend to be. It's the image that I project to everybody around me. And I don't let them see all the other stuff because then they might not like me. They may not love me. So I project a certain image. And we all do this. I'm not the only one. There is a me that other people want me to be. Ways they want me to act, things they want me to say, ways they they expect me, but that's not the real me either. There is a me that I think I should be, that I ought to be, that I work and try real hard to be, but that's not the real me. That's not who God made me to be. And there's even the me that I fail to be with all my faults and mistakes. And I think in this whole resurrection deal, 
He wants all those false me's to die so that he can resurrect the real me. Because he made me and he made you unique in his image. And none of us look exactly the same. And none of us look exactly the same to him. He has uniquely called each and every one of us to follow him. And whether it's an Eeyore Thomas, well, let's just go, (laughs) to a Peter who jumps out of a boat, what he wants us to do is to trust him. Let me read to you in closing from John Ortberg's book. He says, God isn't at work producing the circumstances you want. God is at work in the bad circumstances producing the you that he wants. The Bible doesn't promise that you will only be given what you can handle. In fact, the one certainty of your life is that you will definitely die, and you definitely cannot handle that. You will never be placed in a situation that God can't handle. Nothing, including death, will place you beyond the flow of his life-giving waters. Maybe you're in a situation, a relationship, financial condition, that is not what you wanted. You want to lay down and die. But when you don't, when you show up, when you offer him your best, the best that you have, something good is happening inside you that far outweighs whatever is happening outside you. Your circumstances, even the best of them, are temporary. But you, the person you become, goes on forever. I think there's a lot of dying that needs to happen in my own life and in yours so that a new life can begin. And that's what this is all about. It's putting my faith and trust in the one that even when I don't understand the circumstances, I still trust the person. A God who loves me. A God who wants the best for me. A God who will work and do the best for me and in me. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.